Luke chapter 10. I want to um, have us take a moment this morning to um, look at an incredible parable which um, Jesus speaks and it's, uh, it's something that will help us today in this message. It's the theme of the message. And um, if you see me touching technology at any point, I'm not checking port scores or texting anybody, just so you know. Um, but this morning, I, I have a message which I've aptly entitled, Grow Up. <laughs> okay? Uh, how many of you have ever heard that phrase before? It didn't have to be said to you, but you've heard that phrase before. Grow up. Why don't you grow up? Um, the reason why that phrase is said to us is because at certain times in our life, or for those other people that we've heard it said about, at certain times in their life, uh, they would have been acting in a way that is not mature. So the thought is, grow up. Go ahead and mature and be, you know, act your age, maybe is something else they've spoken about. So as we've been in this series about being below the surface and talking about our lives like an iceberg, I really felt like there was a challenge for me, uh, almost from the Holy Spirit, to say, Dexter, grow up. And I thought, you know what? I can't be the only one that needs this message. Let me share this with everybody else too. Uh, Today is actually our last message in the series, Below the Surface. Um, Next week, we have Kids Takeover Sunday, and the week after that, we have our special guest, Alan Mormon, who's coming. And so uh, then Christmas, December, will be a Christmas-themed series. Uh, So today is my last shot uh, to preach a message about being below the surface. And I really feel strongly that it's a message that God gave me for us to look at today so that we could be encouraged, not yelled at, but we could be encouraged to grow up even further than we already are. So when I said grow up this morning, some of you might be taken aback by that, but I want to encourage you, it's not just you that needs to grow up, it's everybody around you. We are all in a place where we can grow even more deeper in God as well as exposing more of our life to him so that he, in fact, can do the thing that we've been looking for him to do, which is the transformation of our hearts. So if you're in Luke chapter 10, I want us to look there. Um, I'm going to read from the New King James Version this morning. I want us to look there, and the section of Scripture we're going to look at is verse 25, going to verse 37. It says this, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, talking about Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life, eternal life? Verse 26, He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, who wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, 
And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he answered, or he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Lord, my prayer today is that as we understand your word in a deeper sense today, that you would help us to truly be transformed from the inside out, all 100% of us, not just the 10% on the outside, but the 90% that lies below the surface. God, my prayer today is by, by your Holy Spirit, you would tug on each one of our hearts, that you would touch us in a special way. Help us to hear what you are saying to us today, individually, in Jesus' name, amen. So the portion of scripture that we read there talks about the, the good Samaritan. And today, I want us to talk about growing up. In the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is what we've been looking at throughout this series and what we're doing uh, on Monday nights to celebrate life, there's a neat little thing that I read, um, and it's kind of a, it's, it's a quote from someone who goes through the book and through the material, and he comes to the realization, he's kind of gripped by the reality that he's not who he thinks he is. And the way he puts it into words is, he says, I've been a Christian for 10 years, but I've come to realize what I really am is a one-year-old Christian 10 times over. And it really got me thinking, and I, I started to think through what that really looks like, that time doesn't equal maturity. Have you, have you ever seen someone who is acting way less than their age? <laughs> you know, who is, who is not as mature as they should be, you know, not just in a judgmental sense, but in an actual, just a regular standard way of looking at it, that person is not maybe acting the way that they ought to by the age that they are. That same thing can happen to us in the spiritual sense. The same thing that is true of that gentleman who says that in the book, he says, I've realized going through this material and through this stuff that I've been a baby Christian and I'm a 10-year-old Christian, but I'm still in diapers. And I, I just wonder if we evaluate our own life, not with judgment, not with God with a hammer waiting to strike us, but if we were to just evaluate our journey of faith today, would we say, yes, I've been a believer for 10 years and I am a 10-year-old believer? Would we say we're at that place of emotional and spiritual maturity or would we be challenged by that thought of growing up, growing bigger and growing better and longer and stronger in our faith? So he was realizing he was not the mature Christian he thought he was. Where do we find ourselves on that scale? Not just on the scale of spiritual maturity, but also emotional maturity. We've talked in this series about how we handle our emotions and that God is involved in our emotions. I don't know about you, but I've heard this phrase, emotions or feelings are fickle. Yes, they are. Anybody ever gotten in a mood? 
Hello? Everybody better put your hand up. We've all been moody. We've all had something happen where our emotions have taken over. Maybe they've taken over and something bad has happened. Maybe we've overreacted instead of just reacted. Maybe we've overcompensated instead of just walking in the way that we ought to have. And God wants to help us in every moment of our life, even in those places where we have that emotional response. So when we talk about that scale of emotional maturity and spiritual maturity, there's a couple places in Scripture that I thought through as we're looking at this series. James, in the book of James, there's some New Testament godly wisdom in James. In James chapter 1, it, it basically is talking about being slow to speak or quick to listen. I don't, I'm preaching to you today and to myself. If we're, if we're being mature are we quick to listen and slow to speak, or do we jump the gun? You say, I know somebody who does that in everyday conversations. Well, that person might do the same thing with God. So in our spiritual maturity, as we, as we realize that we really cannot be spiritually mature without growing up emotionally as well, then we've got to look at the, the scripture, which is our guideline for living, and say, hey, do we fit the bill? Are we, are we qualified in this sense? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to help us to act the way that we ought? Not because God is looking for us to act a certain way, but because he wants our heart to cause us to respond a certain way. In Ephesians, Ephesians has some wisdom too. For the church at Ephesus, there's some things going on there. And Paul the apostle, he's telling them that they ought to speak the truth in love. I've met a few people in my life who authentically speak the truth in love. And they could spank you with their words, but you know that they love you. How accomplished are we? How mature are we when it comes to that? Try not to think about someone who's offended or bothered you because of their lack. Think this morning about where you fit in that scenario. Are you slow to get angry? Did you know it's okay? The Bible says it's okay to be angry, but it says you ought to be slow to get angry. And when you are angry, you should not sin. How many of you have ever been angry? How many of you have ever been angry about something stupid? <laughs> about something so little, right? And so minute. That's, that's our emotional response in a moment when we can stop, take a breath, and say, God, would you help me? Holy Spirit, would you help me? to respond the way I ought, to respond in a way that pleases God, to respond in a mature way. Trust me, you can ask my wife. We had a conversation last night and she's sitting on the front row going, baby, you need this message. All of us need this message. Here's a little inventory for you to examine where you are. Think about this. I wanna compare human infants to a spiritual and or emotional infant. Okay? Now, when you think about an infant, there are several people in here who have kids that are right now in the infancy stage. They feel a need, but all they can do is cry. They can't communicate well, right? They must wait for their parents to figure it out. <laughs> and I know <laughs> I've been there. I've been like, what do you need? Do you need food? Do you need a bath? Do you need to go to bed? Please stop crying because that's the only way that they can respond. And they become angry if the parent is not attentive. You ever seen an angry baby? <laughs> some mamas and some papas are saying, yeah. So how about an adult as an emotional infant? They treat others as objects that meet their needs. 
They would be those who try to win through intimidation. They'd be unable to empathize with other people. That would be an adult that's stuck in the infancy stage of life. A child can communicate, but they're still dependent on others. They act out of the feelings of pain, fear, resentment. They lack the skills to openly discuss or negotiate getting their needs met. So if we're a spiritual and emotional mature person, we won't be acting like an emotional child. Sure, we all have kicks and we all have seasons and we all have moments or we all have moods, but on a whole, if you look at the trajectory of your life, how you're moving through life, do you feel like maybe you act out of resentment by distancing yourself, by pouting, by whining, by clinging, by lying, by withholding, by appeasing others? Maybe you don't openly and honestly express your needs. And this is for us to evaluate ourselves this morning. I hope you keep having a smile on your face because it is, this is the thing that gives me hope. No matter where we find ourselves, even if you say, wow, I really feel like one of those symptoms sounds like me. No matter where we find ourselves, God's grace can pull us to the next level. And when we get to that next level, he and his grace are enough to carry us and move us even to another level, even higher and even greater than the one that we're currently on. So the challenge really is for you this morning. Don't think about someone else. Don't think about your spouse or a coworker. Think just about yourself in this scenario. An adolescent or a teenager, what are teenagers good at? Sleeping. <laughs> what are teenagers good at? It starts with an R. Re. What? Rebelling. Rebelling. That's exactly what they're good at. They rebel during the teenage phase. Did anybody in here rebel against their parents? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> She's like, I'm just now stopping that. Um, rebelling against parental authority. They define their self in reaction to others. They fear being treated as a child. Don't treat me like a child. I am not a child. I am responsible. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Have you ever met somebody who acts like this emotionally? Amy, stop saying amen. Cannot give. <laughs> an adult as an emotional teenager cannot give without feeling controlled or resentful. Their capacity for mutual concern is missing. They're defensive. They're threatened by criticism of any and every sort. That's tough. You ever been defensive when it came to criticism? A couple of you are smiling. You're thinking about somebody else, I know. How about if we're an adult, though? These are the stages of life, okay? We're not going to move all the way through, you know, the 40s and midlife crisis and later years, golden years, but we're just talking about an adult in that phase of life all around, able to ask for what they need, for what they want, for what they prefer in most cases. The, in most cases, they, they would be clear, direct, honest, respectful, they desire for the relationships to win, not just for themselves to win. They would be able to listen with empathy. They'd be willing to risk saying what is needed without attacking. They'd respect others without having to change them. They're able to resolve conflicts in maturity and negotiate solutions to the things that they face. They give themselves and they're 
and the others they deal with room to make mistakes. So where do we fit if we were to evaluate ourselves this morning? Chances are, if you're like me, you think, okay, there's one symptom of infancy, there's one symptom of adulthood, there's one symptom of this. In every one of those areas, God wants to take us to a a higher level. The parable that we looked at just a few minutes ago, we'll talk about that a little bit right now. That parable is something that, that helps us. Jesus helps us understand and see that a person... Uh, a, a person in this scenario, the Good Samaritan, we would call, exemplifies maturity. Now, I know you've heard the Good Samaritan story. Most of us have heard it before, and you may have heard different things. I heard different weird stuff. I don't know what you heard in the story of the Good Samaritan, but when I was a kid, it taught me not to walk down the dark roads because that's where bad things happen, okay? There are all different sorts of things we talk about in Sunday school. Well, yes, we should be the Good Samaritan and help. We should be, you know, humanitarian in our approach to others. We should offer help. We should not be the one that turned the blind eye. But I want to challenge you today with maybe a little bit of a deeper look. As we read through the passage, maybe you didn't catch this, but I hope you will. And I want us to talk about the context of what's going on. Jesus is talking to someone who is considered a lawyer, maybe even a professor of the law. He's known in some of the translations of the Bible as an expert of the law. So Jesus is standing there having this conversation, and it goes just like we read, word for word. Here he is saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I do to get eternal life? And so he's trying to kind of test Jesus, draw him into this conflict, and Jesus starts to ask him questions. When Jesus asks him questions, he responds with the right words, but then his true motivation comes out when he asks that secondary question and says, well, who is my neighbor? Because he's, he's testing Jesus to see if this is really the answer that he's looking for, and he finds out with Jesus' challenge to go and do likewise, he, he is left with that aching question of will he be the one who fits into that parable, into that scenario. So the Samaritans, what you need to know about them is they were not just outcasts, they were arch enemies of the people of Israel, the Jewish people during that time. They were despised. Uh, the Jewish law expert that was talking to Jesus in that scenario would have been hanging on every word Jesus said and waiting to hear about a Jew who played the hero. He would have been stunned and possibly even stumbled back when he heard that Jesus' parable reflects how the Samaritan, who is his enemy, is actually the hero in the story. So there's a lot to think about and process in this story, but he would have been shocked to hear that the hero was a Samaritan. The parable doesn't talk about, uh, it's not so much about death as in the, the gentleman who's on the side of the road being half dead. It's really engaging us in the direction to understand eternal life. Here Christ is saying, he, this is the answer to what must I do to have eternal life. So it's a life-giving story, not about death, not about despair, not about those things. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, we won't read from that, but you can mark it down if you want to look. The prophet Oded, how would you like that name? Convinced the Samaritans to aid their Judean captives, their Jewish captives at this time. Throughout Christ's life and ministry, we see that his compassion had no bounds. 
He's all of the time being accused for wrongdoing by the Pharisees and by others who are saying, you shouldn't touch that person with leprosy. You shouldn't do this on that day. You shouldn't have fill in the blank. But his compassion knew no boundary. So on the scale of compassion, in it being a, a way that we could judge emotional or spiritual maturity, do we feel like our compassion is the compassion that Christ showed? Or do we slip into maybe judgmental attitudes? I had a moment of a moment of compassion this week. One. And um, it was a good it was a good moment. I'm I'm not gonna tell you all about it, but it was a good moment where I felt like, wow, th- this is what compassion feels like. And that and I want to live in that place. I want to live in that place that when someone says they have a need. I don't need to ask them 30 questions. I just help them with their need. And maybe, maybe you're way better in this department than I am, and that's okay, but maybe you could share this message with someone you know who really could think through their life and say, on the scale of compassion, am I a person who's mature? Can I show compassion without expecting to receive something back? Can I show compassion even to the smallest and the slightest of needs? Can I go outside of my comfort zone? So Jesus' compassion knew no bounds. And in Second in Chronicles 28 that I referenced, the prophet of God is convincing the, the, the Samaritan people that they should help even their captives and they should be blessing them and be compassionate towards them. It says as a result of his challenge that they went through the plunder and they took clothing and they clothed all of the naked captives. They gave them food. They, gave, they treated them, we could say in today's terminology, humanitarily. They treated them in such a way. So the lawyer had the right words about loving God. Yeah, that's what the word of God says, to love God and to love others. But when it came to that deeper question, you see his heart is exposed when he says, but who's my neighbor? You know, who qualifies as an other? So let's get something straight about this story. It is a parable that Jesus is sharing. And he says a man is on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you look it up, a Bible encyclopedia will tell you that's about an 18-mile journey. It's through some desert, some rocky, hard places. There were all types of vagabonds that would have hung out in caves and been on that road because they would try to get the travelers. They'd steal their animals. They'd steal their belongings. Aren't you glad we live in a way different age (laughs) today? I mean, there are people that do experience the, the trauma of a carjacking or a thing like that. But in today's day and age, that's really not so much a possibility or a probability as it was back then it seemed like everyone could fall prey or could be a victim so the priest and the levite who enter into the story they know the word of god they would have been the guys who answered the word the question correctly love god and love others love your neighbor their whole life is to serve and to love god they see the man and they do nothing absolutely nothing And so sometimes we could be really judgmental, just like I've said before. Sometimes we judge somebody in the scripture, like the life of Moses or David for having sinned or Peter for having doubted, and we go, man, I can't believe that jerk. How could he do that? He walked with Jesus. But if we just step in front of a mirror, we can find ourselves in Peter's shoes, sure enough, right? 
There are different days of our life where we could find ourselves being the priest or the Levite who sees a need and does nothing. They didn't investigate the crisis. They didn't offer help. They must have had a lot on their minds. The book that we're going through talks about slowing down in your life. Slowing down, slowing down, slowing down, the, down the, the rat race and that pace, that pace, so that you can actually become more aware, not just of yourself, but of God and his presence in your life. So maybe they were just so hurried and so busy and so, oh, I've got to get to temple or, oh, there's somebody I've got to go pray for and I've got to go on my journey really quickly so I don't have time for this. Maybe they were preoccupied. Maybe they were scared. Some people have painted the story in a way, in such a way that says that, you know, since he was ill and bleeding and things like that, maybe he would have been ceremonially unclean and they didn't feel like it was okay for them to touch him. Yet we find the Samaritan on the side of the road, probably cutting and pulling strips of his own clothing or something in his bag to wrap the wounds of this man who is on the ground in the ditch. So their hearts were not soft. They were not moved. The truth is that compassion flows out of a soft heart, not a stony heart. Preaching about compassion today and thinking about my life in that evaluation, I want more of a softened heart. The Bible gives us this promise, this incredible promise, that God will take away the stony heart and give me a heart of flesh That's declared in the Old Testament that his desire for humanity is that he would be able to do heart surgery and take away that thing that's calloused because of time, calloused because of a judgmental attitude, calloused because of betrayal or things that have happened, calloused, and he can remove that and replace it. He can give us a heart transplant and give us a soft heart, one that has compassion Ashamedly, I know some people who would not consider themselves believers and would not qualify as a believer who are more compassionate than people I've met in churches that are, that are more compassionate than I. I won't paint the picture on you. I'll put it on me. So the Samaritan sees and he takes pity, one version says. Says that he is overwhelmed with compassion. That's a key word that's used there by Jesus. And that is a word that helps us understand that it gripped his heart to see the man in such a situation. So comparison can harden your heart, but compassion can soften it. How many of you have ever been touched when someone expressed compassion to you? Any one of us could raise our hand in this room. We absolutely, we feel honored, we feel blessed, we feel touched, we feel emotionally high and sensitive in that moment when compassion has been laid at our feet or offered to us freely with no strings attached. Yet comparing ourselves to others or comparing others to others having that thought of comparison can lead us to the place of hardening our heart and getting us to the place where it's not as soft as Jesus would intend it to be. And I guess that's really the question that has been weighing on my heart this week and that I want to weigh on your heart as well. Is your heart as tender, as soft as it should be in the hands of Jesus? 
maybe not maybe it's not an issue of compassion maybe you say man every time we see a family we take them out to dinner every time we see somebody on the street we give them a ride every time we maybe that is you and that's great i'm excited about that maybe there's a different area of your life though that you have a hardness in your heart a different aspect or a different dynamic that might apply to you So Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Two different races, two different essentially religions, two different political views. They were going to hell in the Jews' mind. They were second-class citizens. They were inferior. Sociopolitically, can we think of anybody in our day and age who would be considered second-class? Probably. Maybe a lot of things come to your mind. Things that are talked about on the news. Things and attitudes of racism and other things that would treat others as second class. Inferior. This was being dealt with in those days too. Nothing new under the sun. They struggled with this type of attitude then. We still struggle with it today. Yet the Samaritan is the hero in the story. He takes him to the inn. He gives medical care. He spends money. He takes care of him and he says, I'm on a journey and when I come back through, if there's any bill that's owed, I'll pay it to. So I got to thinking, I think he did more than just give a bum a a McDonald's number five. Do, Do you think so? Do you think maybe we shouldn't consider ourselves good Samaritans if that's all we really do? if we just kind of edge a little bit out of our comfort zone but not really fully get out there. And I'm telling you, this is a challenge for me as well. The Good Samaritan is someone that I I don't think I have ever been. But I want to be. I want Christ in me, the hope of glory, to transform me in such a way that I, that I am mistaken for him. That's really what it's all about because that heart that he wants to give you is his own. That's the significance of that, of that statement from the prophet of old that says he'll take away the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. That heart of flesh is meant for us to understand that it is the heart of God being transplanted into us. He exposed himself to the danger of stopping by the roadside. Those, those robbers could have still been, been hiding in the bush. Think in the detail of the story, what that means for him. That while he was helping, he, he could have been victimized, yet he chose to help anyway. This guy was really mature about this. Whereas we would say the priest and the Levite don't fit that criteria. Christ ends the parable when he's talking to the man who's in front of him, that Jewish uh, law expert. He says to him, go and do likewise. The word do there is from the Greek. It actually means to actively continue doing. So go and make your life reflect this guy in the story. Go and do likewise, not just today, not just for one moment this week, but for every moment. Allow that heart of flesh, the heart of God, to be the heart that's inside of you and I. Is it just me, or do you feel like at some point in your life you haven't had God's fleshly heart, that soft heart in your own life? Is it just me, or is it you? It's us, right, together. We're in this together today. 
Jesus starts, though, with the heart of someone who has received mercy. It's a contagious thing. So when he says, who showed mercy, and the answer comes from the Jewish law expert, the answer is, obviously, it's the Good Samaritan. It's this guy in the story, which, it, again, it unsettled him to even say that because of him being a different race and an enemy of the people and all that kind of thing. But in this moment, he had to own up to the fact that it was the one who showed pity and compassion. He's the guy that's got the ticket. The only way that he would have known to show compassion and mercy is because it had been expressed to him, because it had been taught to him in his life, in his childhood, because it had been modeled in some way, shape, or form. How could he have been raised as an enemy, but still with the proper attitude that, you know what, it doesn't matter who's on the side of the road, I'm going to help them. This comes from his heritage. It comes from a choice also. That's the thing with us. Emotional and spiritual maturity is a choice. It really is a choice. I'm telling you what, I have met believers who are upwards of 70 and 80 and 90 years old who act like babies. There's nobody here in the room. I mean, I wasn't talking about you. But there are those people who have just been repeating the cycle over and over. And unfortunately, it shows in the worst of times, in the worst of moments, that immaturity comes out. So even if you have just an ounce of pride in you today, you might want to say, God, would you help me be more mature? Because I want to be just like Jesus. Do you think that Jesus could be seen in that scenario, in that parable of the Good Samaritan? Does he play a part and play a role? I tell you the honest-to-God truth, he does. Do you know who you are in the, Samar- in the Samaritan story? Who are you? The thing is, is none of us would like to own up to the fact that all of us are broken down on the side of the road in the ditch. We're the one, and Jesus is the one who has come as the good Samaritan of all to each one of us who did not deserve it, should not have received it, earned it, no, did not earn it at all. We are the ones who are the guy on the side of the road in the ditch. And we need to own up to that fact that we need God's help, that we need him in our life. We need him in our relationship with that coworker that bothers us. We need him in our marriage when we're having struggles when we're having conversations when we're walking and making decisions we need christ in us we need him amen so that dynamic in the parable is something that we don't offer and consider it's something that had never been told to me dexter you're the guy that's in the ditch I always thought, hey, I'm going to get points with Jesus if I can go and give a meal of McDonald's food to somebody. This is awesome, right? I mean, am I the only one? I think that's probably how we presented it when we were in Sunday school or how it was presented to us. And through no fault of anybody, except for when we look deeper in the scripture and we see, hey, God, where am I at in this picture? Don't don't put yourself in the place of the Good Samaritan because you're not. I'm not. The truth is, we're the one that has received mercy. Let me ask you this. Do you think the one that has received mercy, the one who's been, whose bills have been paid, whose health has been restored, whose life has literally been given back to him, 
do you think that the proper attitude for him to walk out of that inn is to see somebody in the ditch and pass them by? No. It's to then become someone who passes that same thing along and says, as it's been done to me, let me show it to you. And then that person, hopefully, will have that same attitude, that same mature response in moving forward in their life. Christ is, in fact, our good Samaritan. The truth is, we're all shamed. We're all dying. We're all broken. Even as we talk about being below the surface and we say, yes, there is stuff underneath the surface that is broken and it needs fixing, we have to realize we are the guy in the ditch. We are the lady in the ditch. We are the one who needs Christ. And when he saw us, he had compassion on us. If you're in the room today and maybe you haven't experienced that compassion, he wants to express it to you today. His compassion from a very real beating heart that flows with purity, with holiness, with righteousness. He wants to give us that heart in exchange for all of our junk. It's, it's really, it's, th- th- this analogy plays out. It's like you and I are the homeless, are the bum on the street, are the this and the that, and we walk up and someone says, hey, here, and throws us keys keys to a mansion keys that's it's paid for you don't even have to pay the taxes on it it's got everything you want inside of it and i'm not talking about possessions in the physical sense i'm not talking about that kind of prosperity gospel i'm just using that analogy to say it's like jesus handed us the keys to something that's beautiful and has never been broken how how immature of us to not receive that gift And then to throw a party (laughs) and invite everybody we know to experience that same life change that he's offered to us. So once you experience that, you become a better neighbor. Once Once you really dig down deep and realize and recognize, and that's the thing, sometimes we forget about what God has done in us. We need to be sharing this hope with others. The truth is we are alive through the free grace of God alone by someone who gave us grace and the Good Samaritan with capital G and capital S. He loves us even though we don't deserve it. Amen? So with God's grace and with his help, we can mature into emotional and spiritual adults. Maybe there's a significant thing that you've thought about in this message that doesn't have to involve compassion. It doesn't have to involve reaching out, maybe in a physical way. Maybe it's something else, some other area that maybe is exposed. But with God's grace, with his help, we can get to that place of being more mature. The thing is, we come to him imperfect. And he says, if you'll let me have control, I'll make you into what I want you to be. So he, he wants to do this in our lives. But I don't want you today to be deceived. I don't want you to think that, um, that it's easy. Because <laughs> it's not easy. When we try to become, when we are actively participating in growth, when we're attempting to be emotionally mature and spiritually mature, when we're letting God grow us up, the way he does that is through trials and tribulations and tests and things that we may not so easily embrace. 
Growing up is hard to do. <laughs> it really is. My kids all the time, and probably I think they've talked with Kelly's girls too, and sometimes they say this, well, when I'm a teenager, I'm going to da-da-da-da-da, and they fill in the blank. Well, when I'm this, when I'm a grown woman, I'm going to, and I, I just keep saying to them, please, there's so much stress involved in that life. <laughs> there's so much heartache. Like right now, daddy puts food on the table. Everything is taken care of for you. All you have to do is smile, sleep, wake up and learn, love each other. That's it. It's an easy life. Stop wishing to grow up. Amen. <laughs> some of us who have been through hard life at some point say, yes, man, what it would be like to be a child again and just cry and have my need met which is so neat because in this scenario, even though we're talking about maturity, Christ knows. He knows what we need before we even need it or before we know we need it. And he is a loving father who wants to help us, who wants to supply that need, that emotional need, that relationship need, whatever it might be in our life, we just need to make it known to him. It's a process this whole series about being below the surface is not so that you can go home and say, okay, this week I'm better now because of that message and this is totally good. I'm 100%. I'm going to go to the next one, take the next step. It's a process. When a caterpillar goes into a butterfly, it's a process. Maturity is a process. A kid growing up into an adult takes time. It's a process. Um, it's a slow process. So don't, so I, I struggle here in this moment because I don't know what to say to each individual in this room. I don't know if I need to tell you to just trust Jesus and be grace-filled in the process and let him walk you along because maybe for some of you that might be a cop-out. Maybe for some of you, okay, I'll sit back. I don't really need to engage in this spiritual and emotional maturity because Jesus has got this. No, it takes our active participation so when do we have the opportunity to grow up? When those moments happen. When a moment like the Good Samaritan scenario, when this happens, when we see something, when something happens in our own relationship, when we're experiencing a trial, when we're going through a test, when life is not filled with daisies and roses and we're walking down a hard road, this is the moment that Christ wants to mature us. That's so tough. Man, I wish I could go back and slap myself in the face in some of the hard moments of my life and say, Dexter, trust Jesus. He's trying to teach you something. That's just me. Would you allow Jesus today to be your good Samaritan? Maybe there's a need in your own life. Maybe you say, yeah, maybe not spiritually, but I'm sure broken down on the side of the road. I need God to come through in my business with this issue with my coworker, with whatever it might be, fill in the blank. Can we allow him today to be our good Samaritan? The truth of the word of God and the life of Christ demonstrates these two things. God requires nothing to save you. Absolutely nothing. Do we get that? that he requires nothing of us. It's not based on our works. It's based on our belief and our walk with him. That's how we get there, that we literally come to the footsteps, to the door of that mansion, and we bring nothing with us of value. You can try, but he'll, he'll make you throw it away because it's not worth anything in his eyes. 
What we do in that sense is not worth it. It's what Christ has done already. So maybe you've thought there's a place in your heart, in your life, where you need to grow up. Don't walk out of here talking about somebody else or thinking about somebody else. Think about you. Listen to these two passages of Scripture as I close. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 to 14. The writer of Hebrews says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a baby. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You've got to use it. You've got to put it into practice. That's how we become more and more mature. And the, the, the part that kills me the most is that God will allow those scenarios in your life because he wants you to mature more and more. So as much as we talk about the grace of God helping us go from level to level, that means we may have some other things down the road that we didn't count on. We, we may get robbed again. We may get thrown in a ditch again. And we may need him yet again. In fact, I know we will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, would you stand? I want to read this to you. Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, he's talking about previous uh, moments in the history that he's had with the church. And he says, And I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able to take it, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, where there's strife, where there's division among you are you not carnal and behaving like babies these are strong words that the apostle is telling these people hey listen i spoon fed you there's a time for that just like that sweet little colton on the back row there's a time for that for the mother's milk are we still doing that or are we facing the hard things of life with god's help being emotionally and spiritually mature 